You're listening to Tahlequah United Methodist Church's Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to the podcast and connect with us online at TahlequahUMC.org. May you be blessed by the hearing and reading of Scripture and the meditation on the Word. Have a good day. Amen. Thank you very much, Abigail. So today, we continue our series on the Barbarous book, I'm Waiting, God. Um, Today we're going to talk about Ruth. Let us pray. Gracious, loving God, come. I pray, Holy Spirit, come. I pray for the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart. Give you the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll be reading from the book of Ruth, chapter 1. Verses 1 through 22. Hear these words. During the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A man with his wife and two sons went from Bethlehem of Judah to dwell in the territory of Moab. The name of that man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the territory of Moab and settled there. But Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Then only she was left alone along with her two sons. They took wives for themselves, Moabite women. The name of the first was Orpah, and the name of the second was Ruth. And they lived there for about ten years. But both of the sons, Malon and Chilion, also died, and only the woman was left without her two children and without her husband. Then she arose along with her daughters-in-laws to return from the field of Moab, because while in the territory of Moab she had heard that the Lord had paid attention to his people by providing food for them. She left the place where she had been, and her two daughters-in-law went with her. They went along the road to return to the land of Judah. Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, turn back, each of you, to the household of your mother. May the Lord deal faithfully with you, just as you have done with the dead and with me. May the Lord provide for you so that you may find security, each woman in the household of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. But they replied to her, No, instead we will return with you to your people. Naomi replied, Turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Will there again be sons in my womb, that they would be husbands for you? Turn back, my daughters. Go. I am too old for a husband. If I were to say that I have hope, even if I had a husband tonight, and even more if I were to bear sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you refrain from having a husband? No, my daughters. This is more bitter for me than for you, since the Lord's will has come out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth stayed with her. Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law is returning to her people and to her God, and to her gods. Turn back after your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to abandon you to turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and where and there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me and more, so even if, if even death separates me from you, 
When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her about it. So both of them went along until they arrived at Bethlehem. When they arrived at Bethlehem, the whole town was excited on account of them, and the women of the town asked, Can this be Naomi? She replied to them, Don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has returned me empty. Why would you call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has deemed me guilty? Thus Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, returned with her from the territory of Moab. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the, har of the barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I read a story the other day about these two moose hunters in northern Canada who shot an unusually large moose. The two hunters had a problem, though. How they, they couldn't pack this trophy animal out of the woods. It was just too big for their pack horses. But they had a solution. Using a cell phone, they called a tiny seaplane. When the pilot heard about the huge bull moose, he wasn't too sure about taking it on. He told the hunters, I don't know if I can take off with that much weight on my plane. The two moose hunters said, hey, hey, we've done this before. They reassured him, don't worry, it'll work. So they strapped the moose in, strapping him across both pontoons. But again, the pilot begged off. He said, look how far we are sinking underneath the water line. He objected, I'm the pilot. I know what's best. And I know that this is not going to take off. It's not going to lift up. Relax, the hunter said. We've done this before. It's okay. Trust us. So the pilot walked around and he, got, he stepped into his plane. And as he stepped into the plane, he rolled the window down. He said, look. One more time, I'm telling you, this is not going to work. It's not going to happen. The hunters took a deep breath and said, trust us. We have done this before. It's okay. So finally the pilot agreed. He gunned the engine and he took off down the runway of water and crashed into the treetops at the end of the lake. Debris flew everywhere and the moose carcass lodged in the branches of a tall pine tree. And down on the shoreline, one dazed hunter called out to the other, Hey, George, how did we do? Well, George replied, we're about 50 feet farther than last year. You see, the moral of this story, however crazy this story may be, when we fail, we don't have to keep on failing. Failure is never a permanent condition for the believer. The fact is, we can learn about our failures and use them as stepping stones to a great blessing. A couple of questions is how. How do we recover from failure and turn it into a stepping stone towards victory? The scripture that I just read about shows us a beautiful love story that begins with failure. But the end is far greater than anyone could have ever imagined. 
I encourage you all to read all the way through Ruth. It's very short. It's only four chapters. And it's truly a beautiful love story. Another question I want to ask you today is, how close to Jesus are you? Is it possible to know God and yet be far, far away from God? I think so. Maybe somewhere along the way, you made some wrong choices. And one day you woke up and you find God's far away from you and you just don't know how it happened. This can happen no matter who you are. Some people have been raised in Christian homes only to grow and, and reject their heritage. Some people have been deeply hurt by someone who called themselves a Christian, and that deep hurt has kept them from coming close to God or having anything to do with God. Some people made a decision that led them in the wrong direction, and now they find themselves a long, long way home. Something like that happened to Naomi. Ten years passed since she and her husband and their two sons left Bethlehem for Moab. They left because of the famine, and they were only planning on staying for a very short time, just a few months. Then they'd go back home. Their intentions were good, but nothing worked out as they intended. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. Then her two sons died. What do you do when life leaves you with a broken heart? Do you sit and grumble? Do you sit and worry? Do you overthink it? Maybe for a while. But at this point, Naomi could have said, well, it is what it is. And just stop trying and just stop hoping. I used to say that phrase a lot. And then one day I decided that when I say this phrase, I'm having the attitude that limits it might become, what it might become. I want to believe God would use my painful reality to grow something new and hopeful in my life, even though I couldn't possibly imagine it right now. My resistance to this phrase, it is what it is, comes from the years of looking back at hard things and recognizing how God brings good out of those things. One of those first major hard things in my life came when our nine-year-old son was diagnosed with absence seizures. Later on, he was diagnosed with Javon syndrome, which is a form of epilepsy. In order for him to survive and have a quality of life, he would need to take 12 pills a day, see a neurologist three, every three months, and have an EEG done every six months, and strongly, strongly regulate his activity. I saw myself as a mother who solved problems and made her, and, and, you know, and made life better for her children. And I saw that little boy himself just be a tough athlete. I felt as though he not only lost his carefree childhood, but he lost part of his identity. And I lost my naive assumption that I could, you know, fix my child's problems. It is what it is. But soon my grief and depression over our losses changed into a very strong determination not to let this epilepsy change his choices in life. Eleven years later, that same young boy 
has played four years of football, drives a vehicle, graduated from high school, and is a very, very compassionate young man who cares for others and their needs. It is what it is limits the hope in what it might become. If I don't allow God to show me the possibilities, we're limited. My prayer for you all watching and listening today is that you all will receive the blessing of that same kind of hope. Putting your hope into action and receive the blessings that flow from it. Naomi didn't settle for it. She decided what would be best for her to return home to Bethlehem because the famine was over. So what would Orpah and Ruth do? Life would be so hard enough for a Jewish widow to, in Bethlehem, but it would be much worse for two Moabite widows without husbands who would protect them from men seeking to take advantage of foreign women who without husbands would feed them, clothe them, shelter them. So in thinking that way, Naomi was not being unkind. Why, why drag these young women deeper into her misery? That's what she felt. Naomi encouraged them to turn back. She wants to make sure they understand the terrible cost of returning with her. They won't be able to find husbands in Israel. And she is too old to provide them with any more. Naomi says, I return as a poor widow. And if you return with me, you return as two poor widows the rest of your lives. You can have a life of ease back in Moab. But life with me, it will be so hard. Naomi wants to make sure they understand the cost. Do you understand the cost? You know, Jesus never promised a life of ease. I've, I've told this to my children that he never promised us roses without the thorns. In fact, he promises the opposite. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Mark eight thirty four. Following Jesus means bearing a cross. It means suffering and hardship. It's not a life of ease. Shoot Sports, a major supplier of football helmets for the National Football League, issues the following warning label on all their helmets and on their website. In big, bold letters, warning, no helmet system can prevent concussions or eliminate the risk of serious head or neck injury while playing football. The warning label continues with information about the concussions and concludes by repeating the original warning. No helmet system can protect you from serious brain and neck injuries, including paralysis or death. To avoid those risks, do not engage in the sport of football. A visitor to the website can't even access any content until he or she checks a box under the words, please indicate that you have read and understand the message. I think Jesus would say something like that. Warning. To avoid the risk of discipleship, do not engage in following me. So there is a price. There is a cost in turning back and walking with our Lord and our Savior. And of course, what else are you going to do? Make the commitment. Turn your back on the past 
and determined to stay with God no matter what. The risk is high, but worth it. And that's what Ruth does. Ruth takes that risk. A very famous line in the Bible is what Ruth tells her mother-in-law. She says, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you wherever you go. I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Do you know what Ruth is doing here? She's making a clean break. She's burning all her bridges behind her. She's committing herself fully to Naomi's God. There's nothing more to say. Ruth has made her mind up. She has counted the cost, and she's ready to make her commitment. There's a story about a young um, Texas pastor, Jim Dennison, who was in college, and he served as a summer missionary in East Malaysia. And while there, he attended a small church. And at one of the church's worship services, a teenage girl came forward to announce her decision to follow Christ and to be baptized. And during the service, Dennison noticed some worn-out luggage leaning against the wall of the church. He asked the pastor about it. And the pastor pointed to the girl who had just been baptized. And he told Dennison, he said, the, her father said that if she was baptized as a Christian, she could never go home again. So she brought her luggage. She had counted the cost and made the commitment to follow Jesus. There was no turning back. You do the same. Count the cost. Make the commitment. In our study this week, Barb Ruth, um, our memory verse is Romans 12, 12. I really like it. It says, be joyful in hope, patient in, aff in affliction, faithful in prayer. Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patience in affliction, faithful in prayer. Ruth and Naomi found victory in the place of defeat. They found joy in the midst of pain. They found hope in the midst of despair. Naomi thought she was returning empty-handed, but she had Ruth, and it was spring. There are good things coming, things far greater than they could ever have thought or dreamed of. So the question I asked you earlier, how? How do you turn your failures into stepping stones and, and make them victories? Hope. Turn your hope into action. Don't settle for it is what it is. Pack your bag. Get ready. Sign the warnings that you accept the warning and you're ready to take the risk. Turn your hope into action. Get moving. Sometimes God delays give us an opportunity to examine our hearts. Now is the time to get ready. Put your hope into action and know that God loves you. And so do I. Amen.
Thank you for listening to Tahlequah United Methodist Church's sermon podcast. We hope you have a good week, and we ask that you connect with us online at tahlequahumc.org. Thank you, and have a good day.